Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. This is going to be on Mosiah chapter 5. Last, last time, yesterday's class, or discussion on Mosiah 4 was teaching us how to stay out of the club Sinners Anonymous. This one is going to be how to get us out of the club Sinners Anonymous. So if we've made a mistake and we've gotten into it, here's what we're going to do to get out of it. All right, let's go to verse 1. Now it came to pass that when King Benjamin had thus spoken to his people, he sent among them, desiring to know of his people if they believed the words which he had spoken unto them. Elder Maxwell said, So concerned was Benjamin with his major sermon that he sent among the people to see if they really believed in his words. Benjamin was much more concerned more over connecting with his spiritual constituency than with his political constituency. He was continually concerned about communicating. For example, Benjamin did not want his people to forget the name by which they were called. Illustratively, too, he was anxious to complete the covenant with them, yet he concluded it only when he was sure that their hearts had been touched and that they understood clearly what he had taught. Such is the great teaching style of this remarkable man whose sermon we celebrate. Verse 2, And they all cried with one voice, saying, Yea, we believe all the words which thou hast spoken unto us, and also we know of their surety and truth because of the Spirit of the Lord Omnipotent, which has wrought a mighty change in us. This is our goal, is to make this mighty change turning to God and not turning back. Elder McConkie said, Mere compliance with the formality of the ordinance of baptism does not mean that a person has been born again. No one can be born again without baptism, but the immersion in water and the laying on of hands to confer the Holy Ghost do not of themselves guarantee that a person has been or will be born again. The new birth takes place only for those who actually enjoy the gift or companionship of the Holy Ghost. Only for those who are fully converted, who have given themselves without restraint to the Lord. Thus, Alma addressed himself to his brethren of the church and pointedly asked them if they had spiritually been born of God, received the Lord's image in their countenance, and had the mighty change in their hearts, which always attends the birth of the Spirit. And then uh, this quote, when the Holy Ghost falls upon a worthy recipient, it has the effect of pouring out pure intelligence upon him. All is calm and serene. The still small voice speaks peace to the spirit within. And the sanctifying cleansing power of the spirit begins to make it manifest itself. And that's from Joseph Smith. Joseph F. Smith said, what a glorious condition it was. Uh, what was this? A condition in which the Lord God omnipotent by the power of his spirit had wrought a mighty change in the hearts of that people that they no longer had any desire to do evil but were filled only with a fervent desire to do that which was good this was indeed a great change and yet it is precisely that change that comes today to every son and daughter of god who repents of his or her sins who humble themselves before the lord and who seek forgiveness and remission of sin by baptism by immersion by one having authority to administer this sacred ordinance of the gospel of jesus christ for it is this new birth that, has, that was spoken of by Christ to Nicodemus as absolutely essential that men might see the kingdom of God, and without which no man could enter into the kingdom. Each of us can remember, perhaps, 
the change that came into our hearts when we were baptized for the remission of, of our sins, the feeling that came upon me was that of pure peace, of love and of light. I felt in my soul that if I had sinned, and surely I was not without sin, that it had been forgiven me, that it was that I was indeed cleansed from sin. My heart was touched and I felt that I would not injure the smallest insect beneath my feet. I felt as though I wanted to do good everywhere, to everybody and to everything. I felt a newness of life, a newness of desire to do that which was right. There was not one particle of desire for evil left in my soul. I was but a little boy, it is true, when I was baptized, but this was the influence that came upon me. And I know that it was from God and was and ever has been a living witness to me of my acceptance of the Lord. Um, continuing the, the end of the verse here, uh, having no desire to do sin in us in our hearts, that we have no more disposition to do evil, but to do good continually. This is not just intellectual change, but a change in our soul. Being good is not enough without the ordinances, however. The mighty change associated with the new birth results in an educated conscience, educated desires, educated and bridled passions. Alma spoke of the ancient saints who had received the priesthood of Melchizedek and who through their faith and obedience were sanctified and their garments were washed white through the blood of the Lamb. Now they, after being sanctified by the Holy Ghost, having their garments made white, being pure and spotless before God, could not look upon sin, save it were with abhorrence. And there were many, exceedingly great many, who were made pure and entered into the rest of the Lord their God. Likewise, after Ammon had preached to King Lamoni and his subjects, they did all declare unto the people the selfsame thing, that their hearts had been changed, that they had no more desire to do evil. And behold, many did declare unto the people that they had, been, that they had seen angels and had conversed with them, and thus they had told them things of God and of his righteousness. The saints of God in all ages lift up their voices unto the heavens as did Nephi. O Lord, wilt thou redeem my soul? Wilt thou deliver me out of the hands of mine enemies? Wilt thou make me that I may shake at the appearance of sin? Elder McConkie wrote, Sins are remitted not in the waters of baptism, as we say in speaking figuratively, but when we receive the Holy Ghost. It is the Holy Spirit of God that erases carnality and brings us into a state of righteousness. We become clean when we actually receive the fellowship and companionship of the Holy Ghost. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a divine institution. The Church, however, is only a means to an end the vehicle for men and women to receive in the everlasting gospel, participate in the ordinances of salvation, live worthy of the powers of godliness, put off the natural man and grow in righteousness so that they may so that they might enjoy a mature spiritual union with that Lord whose they are. Regarding the new birth, both the baptism of the water and the baptism of the spirit symbolize birth. Entering into the kingdom of God through repentance and baptism is properly referred to as a rebirth, for thereby we become as children in the household of faith. The godly anguish and suffering of the repentant soul could be likened to the pain experienced by the mother in labor. The elements common to the process of birth are water, blood, and spirit. The amniotic fluid which surrounds the child prior to birth is a watery substance which aids in the development of the infant. The water of the baptismal font serves as a medium through which spiritual development begins. Blood is the medium through which saving nutrients and life-giving substances are passed to the child. Likewise, it is through the blood of Christ that the benefits of the atonement are extended to man and the saving principles of the gospel are made a part of his life. Just as the individual spirit gives life to the infant body, even so the reception of the Holy Ghost begins a quickening in the inner man. One must be born again to both see and enter the kingdom of God. The new birth brings a change of 
attitude and character. <clears throat> Elder Orson Pratt explained concerning the powers of the Holy Ghost. Water baptism is only a preparatory cleansing of the believing penitent, whereas the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost cleanses more thoroughly by renewing the inner man and by purifying the affections, desires, and thoughts which have long been habituated in the impure ways of sin. Without the aid of the Holy Ghost, a person would have but very little power to change his mind at once from its habituated course and to walk in newness of life. So great is the force of habit that he would, without being renewed by the Holy Ghost, be easily overcome and contaminated again with sin. Hence, it is infinitely important that the affections and desires should be, in a measure, changed and renewed, so as to cause him to hate that which he before loved and to love that which he before hated. To thus renew the mind of man is the work of the Holy Ghost. The new birth brings new knowledge, new insights, and new directions to life. Those who are born again are received into a new family. They become the sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. Birth is but a beginning. The journey of faith lies ahead. Though the new birth is a result of a definite time of decision, a desire for the things of righteousness, it is usually a quiet but powerful process. Elder McConkie said a person may get converted in a moment miraculously. That is what happened to Alma the Younger. He had been baptized in his youth. He had been promised the Holy Ghost, but he had never received it. He was too worldly wise. He went off with the sons of Mosiah to destroy the church. Alma was in this state, and then this, this occasion occurred when a new light came into his soul, when he was changed from his fallen and carnal state to a state of righteousness. In, in his instance, the conversion was miraculous, in the snap of a finger almost, but that is not the way it happens with most people. With most people, conversion is a process, and it goes step by step, degree by degree, level by level, from a lower state to a higher state from grace to grace until the time that the individual is wholly turned to the cause of righteousness. Now this means that an individual overcomes one sin today and another sin tomorrow. He perfects his life in one field now and in another field later. And the conversion process goes on until it is completed, until we become literally, as the Book of Mormon says, saints of God instead of natural men. Verse 3, and we, are, and we ourselves also, through the infinite goodness of God and the manifestations of his Spirit, have great views of that which is to come. And were it expedient, we could prophesy of all things. Revelation is to those with the Spirit. As a manifestation of the Spirit, the people were given the Spirit of prophecy, which is no more than the testimony of Jesus. A similar manifestation of the Spirit attended the baptisms of Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery. Uh, this is from the history of the church. No sooner had I baptized Oliver Cowdery than the Holy Ghost fell upon him, and he stood up and prophesied many things which should shortly come to pass. And again, so soon as I had been baptized by him, I also had the spirit of prophecy. When standing up, I prophesied concerning the rise of this church and many other things connected with the church and this generation of the children of men. We were filled with the Holy Ghost and rejoiced in the God of our salvation. Verse 4, and it is... And it, and it is the faith which we have had on the things which our King has spoken unto us that has brought us to this great knowledge, whereby we do rejoice with such exceedingly great joy. And we are willing to enter into a covenant with our God to do his will, to take upon us the name of Christ in the baptismal covenant. The people of King Benjamin were already members of the church. They had been baptized at the time of their initial conversion or as they arrived at the age of accountability. They had previously taken upon themselves the name of Christ, and they now renewed those commitments to keep the commandments of God the remainder of their days. Continuing verse 5, <clears throat> And to be obedient to his commandments in all things that he shall command us all the remainder of our days, that we may not bring upon ourselves a never-ending torment, 
as has been spoken by the angel, that we may not drink out of the cup of the wrath of God. And now these are the words which King Benjamin desired of them. And therefore he said unto them, Ye have spoken the words that I desired, and the covenant which ye have made is a righteous covenant. And now, because of the covenant which ye have made, ye shall be called the children of Christ, his sons and his daughters. For behold, this day he hath spiritually begotten you. For ye say that your hearts are changed through faith on his name. Therefore ye are born of him, and have become his sons and his daughters. Joseph Fielding Smith said, The Son of God has a perfect right to call us his children spiritually begotten, and we have a perfect right to look on him as our Father who spiritually begot us. Now, if these critics would read carefully the Book of Mormon, they would find that when the Savior come, came and visited the Nephites, he told them that he had been sent by his Father. He knelt before them and he prayed to his Father. He taught them to pray to his Father, but that did not lessen in the least our duty and responsibility of looking upon the Son of God as a Father to us because he spiritually begot us. We never lose our relationship with Elohim, the Eternal Father, because Jehovah became the chief advocate and proponent of the plan of our Father, because he offered himself as a ransom for the souls of his spirit brothers and sisters, and because he makes the terms and conditions of the Father's plan operative and thus available to mankind. He becomes the Father of their spiritual rebirth, the Father of their resurrection, the Father of their salvation. Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant, and men and women become sons and daughters of Jesus Christ by covenant. Entrance or adoption into his family kingdom is accomplished through a solemn agreement to take the family name, live in harmony with the standards of that covenant family, and thus adhere to family obligations. Those who do, who do so make permanent their place in the family. They are sealed to that God who loves them and thereby inherit and possess as heirs a fullness of the glory of their Lord. That's from the doctrinal commentary of the, New, of the Book of Mormon. Verse 8. And under this head ye may be free, ye may be made free. I'm sorry, let me read that again. And under this head ye are made free, and there is no other head whereby ye can be made free. There is no other name given whereby salvation cometh. Therefore I would that ye should take upon you the name of Christ. In other words, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He taught that to his disciples. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye continue in my word, he said on another occasion, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. In a modern revelation, that same Lord said, I, the Lord God, make you free, therefore ye are free indeed. In and through Jesus Christ, people are made free, free from sin, from ignorance, and ultimately from the effects of a fallen state, and all the limitations of the flesh. Christ comes, Lehi testified, to redeem the children of men from the fall. And because that they are redeemed from the fall, they have become free forever, knowing good from evil, to act for themselves and not to be acted upon. Through the blessings of the atonement, the obedient are free to enter the divine presence and partake fully of all that the Father has. Charles Penrose said, Do not be afraid to use reverently the name of Christ. He uses it continually. We can read about it in the Book of Mormon. The church was the was the Church of Christ, and in the last days the Church is to be called by that name. You may think perhaps that is a matter of little importance, perhaps it is to you, but I have found in my experience from the beginning of my membership in this Church that there is power in that name. In my name they, they, they that believe shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, and so on. There is power in the name of Jesus Christ. Demons tremble at that name. They recognize it, but when we, in a slipshod way, use the name of Jesus and say nothing about Christ, I don't know that it has so much power and, and influence. Um, and then President Nelson has recently um, emphasized the need for us to remember the name of the church and to use the full name of the church, uh, the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, so that everyone knows that we are of the Church of Jesus Christ. 
Continuing on, uh, this is from Dallin Oaks. He says, we see that we take upon us the name of Christ when we are baptized in his name, when we belong to his church and profess our belief in him, and when we do the work of his kingdom. There are other meanings as well, deeper meanings that the more mature members of the church should understand and ponder as he or she partakes of the sacrament. It is significant that when we partake of the sacrament, we do not witness that we take upon us the name of Jesus Christ. We witness that we are willing to do so. The fact that we only witness to our willingness suggests that something else must happen before we actually take that sacred name upon us in the most important sense. What future event or events could this covenant contemplate? The scriptures suggest two sacred possibilities, one concerning the authority of God, especially as exercised in the temples, and the other closely related concerning exaltation in the celestial kingdom. Willingness to take upon us the name of Jesus Christ can therefore be understood as willingness to take upon us the authority of Jesus Christ. According to this meaning, by partaking of the sacrament, we witness our willingness to participate in the sacred ordinances of the temple and to receive the, holy, the highest blessings available through the, through the name and by the authority of the Savior when he chooses to confer them upon us. Our willingness to take upon us the name of Jesus Christ affirms our commitment to do all that we can to be counted among those whom he will choose to stand at his right hand and be called by his name at the last day. In this sacred sense, our witness that we are willing to take upon us the name of Jesus Christ constitutes our declaration of candidacy for exaltation in the celestial kingdom. Exaltation is eternal life, the greatest of all the gifts of God. Verse 9, And it shall come to pass that whosoever doeth this shall be found at the right hand, or the covenant-making hand, of God. For he shall know the name by which he is called, for he shall be called by the name of Christ. And now it shall come to pass that whosoever shall not take upon him the name of Christ must be called by some other name. Therefore he findeth himself on the left hand of God, those worthy of punishment and rejection. And I would that ye should remember also, and that that this is the name that I said I should, I, I should give unto you, that never should be blotted out, except it be through transgression. Therefore, take heed that ye do not transgress, that the, name of, that the name be not blotted out of your hearts. I say unto you, I would that ye should remember to retain the name written always in your hearts, that ye are not found on the left hand of God, but that ye hear and know the voice by which ye shall be called. Our knowledge of persons and things before we came here, combined with the divinity awakened within our souls through obedience to the gospel, powerfully affects, in my opinion, all our likes and dislikes, and guides our preferences in the course of this life, provided we give careful heed to the admonitions of the Spirit. All those salient truths which come home so forcibly to the head and heart seem but the awakening of the memories of the Spirit. Can we know anything here that we did not know before we came here? If Christ knew beforehand, so did we. But in coming here, we forgot all that our agency might be free indeed to choose good or evil, that we might merit the reward of our own choice and conduct. By the power of the Spirit and the redemption of Christ through obedience, we often catch a spark from the awakened memories of the immortal soul, which lights up our whole being as with the glory of our former home. That was by Joseph F. Smith. Continuing verse 12, And also the name by which he shall call you, Brigham Young said, How are we to know the voice of the, of the Good Shepherd from, from the voice of a stranger? Can any person answer this question? I can. It is very easy. To every philosopher upon the earth, I say, your eye can be deceived, so can mine. Your ear can be deceived, so can mine. The touch of your hand can be deceived, so can mine. But the Spirit of God filling the creature with revelation in the light of eternity cannot be mistaken. The revelation which comes from God is never mistaken. When an individual filled with the Spirit of God declares the truth of heaven, 
The sheep hear that. The spirit of the Lord pierces their inmost souls and sinks deep into their hearts. By the testimony of the Holy Ghost, light springs up within them, and they see and understand for themselves. This is the way the gospel should be preached by every elder in Israel. And by this power, every hearer should hear, and if he would know, the voice of the Good Shepherd. We must live so that the Spirit of the Lord can find its way to our hearts. John A. Witso said, We can receive the Spirit of eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ, by which we may know the voice of the Good Shepherd, whenever and wherever we hear it. And as we know the voice of the Good Shepherd, so shall we learn to distinguish it from the voice of a stranger, the voice of the evil one. We can then clearly understand the things that are of God and the things that are not of him and be able to see and judge all things as they are. For he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. M. Russell Russell Ballard said, when my ministry is over, it won't be any talk that I've given in the tabernacle that will make much difference or will be very important in the sight of the Lord. What will be important, I think, is that I, I hear the voice and respond to the promptings that the Spirit might direct me, that I might be an instrument in the hands of the Lord to do his will and his bidding. Verse 13, And how knoweth a man the master whom he has not served, and who is a stranger unto him, and is far from the thoughts and intents of his heart? We serve God by serving one another. And again, doth a man take an ass which belongeth to his neighbor and keep him? I say unto you, Nay. He will not even suffer that he shall feed among his flocks, but will drive him away and cast him out. I say unto you that even so shall it be among you, if ye know not the name by which ye are called. Therefore I would that ye should be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in good works, that Christ, the Lord God omnipotent, may seal you his, that you may be brought to heaven, that ye may have everlasting salvation and eternal life through the wisdom and power and justice and mercy of him who created all things in heaven and in earth, who is God above all. Amen. Being born again is not enough. You must continue to endure to the end. I bear testimony of the truth of these things, and as we contemplate that we've taken upon ourselves the name of Christ, are we living up to those obligations? Are we living up to our covenants? Uh, Think about that and see what corrections may need to be made. I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.